Liverpool Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. How are you, friend? Thank you so much for joining us here on the Paul Leslie Hour. This time around, I have an interview for you from the archives with the legendary drummer, producer, and songwriter Russ Kunkel. Russ Kunkel is perhaps the most legendary drummer in modern music. He has played drums on countless hits from James Taylor, Joni Mitchell, Carole King, Carly Simon, Jackson Brown, Linda Ronstadt, Bill Withers, Bob Dylan, Dan Fogelberg, Lyle Lovett, B.B. King. I could keep on going. Too many recording and touring credits to count. He is also well-respected for producing many great albums, from artists ranging from the Derek Trucks Band to Dan Fogelberg. He has also been the most prolific producer of Jimmy Buffett's discography, with the exception of Michael Utley. I did this interview with Russ Kunkel at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Atlanta. He was touring with Lyle Lovett, and he had just released a new album on Mailboat Records entitled Chateau Beach. I highly recommend this album. It's eight classic songs that Russ Kunkel had performed on. There are songs on there by James Taylor, Bill Withers, Carole King, Joni Mitchell, Jackson Brown, Graham Nash. They're stunning. It's instrumental interpretations of songs that you love. Russ Kunkel is a gentleman and a legend in music. It was a pleasure to interview him, and I hope you all enjoy. Let me know what you think. Ladies and gentlemen, our special guest is Mr. Russ Kunkel. Russ Kunkel is a legendary drummer, both studio and on tour, and he's also well-known as a producer. First of all, thanks so much for making the time to do this. It's a pleasure, Paul. Thanks for having me. And for all the ladies and gentlemen at home, I want to apologize in advance if I do not touch on your favorite song that Russ drummed on. I know that there are a lot of them, but (laughs) we're going to get a good summary of his career. My first question, who is Russ Kunkel? A human being living on the planet Earth. Very uh, appreciative of uh, his blessings and uh, trying to live in the moment. I think most stories are best from the beginning. So tell us where you're from and a little bit about the music that you grew up listening to. I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Lived in, in Pennsylvania till I was around nine. Music that I listened to then was mostly the music that my sisters played, kind of early rock and roll. This would have been, you know, in the fifties. And, uh, I moved to Southern California, um, after my father died when I was nine and, uh, lived there with my mother, grew up in Long Beach, playing surf music, listening to the Beach Boys, you know, lots of different things during that time to the Beatles, Rolling Stones, a little bit of jazz, and uh, eventually got in a couple bands and started playing music on my own. My my brother, uh, uh, Gilbert, was a drummer, and when I was growing up at home in Pennsylvania, he had a couple bands, and uh, there was always music being played around the house, so I kind of gravitated towards the drums, and he helped kind of get me on my way in that, but... Uh, just I listened to most of the mo- the music I listened to was pretty much the music of the time. What you could you know, be in uh, in Southern California in the '60s. I graduated in 1966, 
I mean, you know, you do, you look at the list of the music that was coming out then. It's, it's never been better. And, uh, I liked all of it. I really, you know, didn't have any favorites. I just liked it all. So why the drums? Mostly because of my brother. You know, that's what, that was his instrument. He sat me on his knee and put some sticks in my hand. And, you know, that's just the way I went. I've had a lot of guests on this show where I've asked them who their favorite drummers were, and they said Russ Kunkel. So I've been dying to ask, who do you have the most respect for as a drummer? Well, right out, well, I have to say right off the top, it's Levon Helm. Uh, he is almost exclusively my favorite drummer. He is also just a fabulous human being. And uh, I got to spend some time with Levon in 1974 when I was um, fortunate enough to be playing um, drums for Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young on a world tour that they did. And uh, the bill was Jesse Colin Young, Joni Mitchell with the L.A. Express, and the band. And then Crosby, Stills, Nash and & Young. And so I, I got to be around Levon for a whole summer and, uh, we became pretty good friends. And, um, I just, he's just, I, when every time I hear him play on something, it's just, I, I just, it's some of my favorite stuff. Not to mention that he's a phenomenal singer and an incredible actor as well. But that's who comes, uh, on the top of my mind there. Do you have any recollections of the first session you played on? Well, I have recollections of the first studio that I recorded in, you know, uh, wasn't a, anything that turned into a record or not, but uh, an early uh, manager of a band that I was in a band called Things to Come. His name was Dale Davis, and uh, he had a studio called Second Street Sound in uh, in Long Beach, and that's where I first started recording, was with him and recording different things there in that studio. Some of the stuff that we did with the band got released in... Uh, I think you can find it now on a Sunday's recording called Things to Come, I Want Out. That's some of the recordings we did there in that studio. Our special guest is Russ Kunkel. Now, you've done so much as far as touring and recording. Do you have a preference when it comes to the drums? Uh, I, I don't think I do. Um, I enjoy both of them. Um, Recording in the studio is, is more technical and it's kind of, there's an instant gratification about it because you get to, you know, play something and go hear it, hear what you did and it turns into a product that you can, you know, have, listen to. Uh, playing live is different because it's live. It's just, it is completely the moment and, um, being on tour, it's a long period of time with a lot of people. And you kind of like uh, your family on the road, and it's a different experience. But I enjoy both of them. I enjoy both of them. You, there's there's more pressure um, playing live because you can't stop and do it over again. In the studio, if you make a mistake, you can do it over again. So they're different, but I like them both. When it comes to the studio process, do you consider yourself more like the cobbler in the workshop that's working on the shoe? Or more someone that's trying to capture spontaneity, or both. I think probably capture the spontaneity. Um, the only thing I'm really thinking about in the studio first is not making any mistakes. So if, you know, reading the chart, not not impeding the uh, the process by being the weak link in the chain. 
And right after that, the next thing that I really concentrate on is listening, um, especially to the artist and to the song. Because that's really what I'm trying to, uh, you know, accompany is the song, you know, and the performance of, of, of the artist. So I just, I just really try to put my big ears on when I'm in the studio and, you know, find out what's needed and wanted and produce or present it. And then somehow that'll be successful. How did you get into the production end? Uh, I guess my desire to start producing things came, um, by buying recording equipment, having it at home and starting to do some things on my own. Um, and, you know, becoming a songwriter and doing demos. And then I also realized that when I was in the studio working on projects that, um, I'm not going to mention any names, but sometimes I certainly thought that I had better ideas than the producer did, you know, but it wasn't, that was, it wasn't my job to say so. Um, but then I had the pleasure of working with great producers like Peter Asher, who, if he got stumped, and this actually happened in, in one Linda Ronstadt session where we weren't really getting the track, and he, he said, listen, look, I, I, I'm out of ideas. He goes, I can't tell you guys what to do to get this track. So I'm of no more use here. I'm going to go home. If you guys want to stay and cut this track, feel free, and I'll come back tomorrow and listen to it. And I don't think... I have never, never heard of a producer doing that saying, look, I can't, I can't, I can't be of any more help here. I've tried. You guys do it. And so Wadi Wachtel, Billy Payne and I, and I think probably Bob Glob stayed in the studio and, uh, cut the track and he came back the next day and he loved it. So, so I think it was partly, you know, realizing that sometimes, you know, I, I did have a good idea of, uh, of an arrangement or a way to produce something and, um, you know, kind of inspired me to think about doing it. I wanted to discuss your record. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Russ Kunkel has an album, Chateau Beach Rivage. Correct. And uh, before we get into that, I wanted you to tell us about listening to the CD, King Curtis Live at the Fillmore West. Um, my dear friend and, uh, and partner in Chateau Beach, uh, our entertainment company, his name is Spencer Marinoff, and he lives in the Miami Beach um, in I was down visiting him. Um, we, I think we may be coming back from playing golf or something. And, uh, we're in his car and he said, Hey, have you ever listened? Have you ever heard the King Curtis live at the Fillmore album? And I said, no. And he said, check this out. And we put it in and we we're listening to it. And I was looking at the liner notes and, um, I realized that all the songs on the album were songs that King Curtis played saxophone on for other people. And that was kind of his, his set list was, you know, playing instrumental versions. And I think maybe there is even some vocalists on it. And a kind of light bulb went off in my head that, you know, if people always ask me, are you ever going to make an album? And I, I would say like, what? Why would I make an album? I'm, you know, I'm, I mean, I could write songs for people and do that, but I'm not, you know, I'm not a singer. I'm not, I don't consider myself to be a, you know, a soloist. So, but a kind of a, a you know, a thought went off in my head that, this would be a good idea for me. In other words, to do instrumental versions of songs that I played on, uh, and make that, a make that a CD in the same way that King Curtis did. 
it made sense to me for the first time. And so, you know, I started uh, putting together some lists and, um, you know, deciding on uh, on a, uh, a way to record the songs um, so that it would be a little bit different, so it wouldn't sound just like, you know, an instrumental version of Fire and Rain, so it would have, be a little different. So I, I chose to go that European lounge route uh, of, you know, kind of semi-smooth lounge, smooth jazz that would uh, play in a lot of different venues, you know, play in restaurants, you know, if you really want to listen to it on headphones, there's a lot going on to listen to and try to make the arrangements unique. But that's, that's how the idea came about from my friend Spencer to, you know, turning me onto that record. Well, speaking of fire and rain, you know, you've worked with so many different artists, but I guess you could say these songs are like interpretations of, of songs that a lot of people know and love. Was there any particular reason why you uh, interpreted James Taylor songs more than other artists? Well, it's real simple. Um, I wanted this first record to be um, I wanted the songs to be songs that people knew that they were, uh, you know, um, more famous songs that that uh that got a lot of airplay because when you first come out with a product the more familiar some of the songs are to the to one to radio you know uh i felt that it might be a, a better opportunity and also they were the songs that were played the most and uh and i i've recorded a lot of material with james over the years and he just it just kind of rose to the top you know um don't maybe lonely tonight mexico and fire and rain and there but trust me there are plenty more you know, there can be other volumes of this of this kind of idea, but the, these just seem to fit. You know, and and there are the ones that we came up with arrangements that we liked. So, do you envision a, the possibility of a second volume of this, or kind of like a follow up? Absolutely, absolutely. And um, you know, and maybe branching out into some some different things too, not just songs that I played on, but. <laughs> <clears throat> arrangements um, like Chateau Beach Revage of classic jazz songs or, you know, other, other formats, you know, other genres. So, but there's definitely going to be a volume two of this because the song, the, the list of songs that I had to choose from was pretty big. I was hoping you could talk a little bit about Dan Fogelberg because pretty much all of those classic recordings of Fogelberg you played on. What was it like working with him? Well, it was it was great working with Dan. He was a, a dear friend and uh, an excellent musician, great writer, and um, we had a lot of fun together. You know, playing on his records was always a treat, and he knew what he wanted. He was uh, very distinct about that, and um, I'm really proud of the work I got to do with Dan. And miss him terribly. He's like just a tragedy that. He died so young, and um, but it was great working with him. Lots, lots, and lots of great memories. Great bands, good musicians, lots of laughs, and that's that's the stuff I remember about him. Our special guest is Russ Kunkel. I wanted to talk a little bit about Leland Sklar. Oh, I can't talk about Leland. <laughs> He'd, you know, I can't say anything about him. Like you, you can't, you know, what can I say about Leland? I'll get in trouble if I say anything about Leland. <laughs> well, just tell us a little bit, if you could, about about your association with him. Well, he's one of the sweetest men in the world, and uh, 
not to mention, uh, you know, an absolutely fabulous bass player. And we have, uh, I have been fortunate enough to play with him on many, many occasions live and in the studio. And, uh, you know, playing with Lee is like putting on a pair of comfortable loafers. You know, they just feel right. And it's effortless playing with him. Um, we kind of, we do the same things instinctively at the same place. And it just comes from, you know, familiarity. You know, we've, we work so much together. And I, and I love him to death. He's one of the funniest people in the world. A lot of people don't know that about Lee. He's a real prankster. And, uh, I just love him. Love him to death. He's the best. Our special guest is Russ Kunkel. Um, the album that you have, the Chateau Beach album, Rivage, was co-produced by Jay Oliver. Correct. And he is an artist that I've wanted to interview for a couple of years now. So I was hoping you could tell us about working with him on this project. Well, when I decided that I was going to embark on this, um, Jay was the first person that came to mind to to work with on on this project um, because I wanted to keep it simple and I didn't I didn't want to um, do kind of standard sessions with lots of different musicians I wanted it to be um, uh, just a couple people working in the studio and Jay is a uh, an amazing programmer and an amazing keyboard player and writer. And I got, I met Jay working on a, producing a Jimmy Buffett album called, uh, Barometer Soup. Um, and Jay and I, Peter Mayer, uh, and Roger Guth, uh, worked on collaborating with the writing on that album with Jimmy Buffett. And we put, you know, wrote, wrote the, worked on some of the lyrics and worked on the music together. And I just got to realize what a great, uh, player and programmer Jay was. So I knew that this, that Ravage needed to have a lot of um, a Euro flavor to it, and that that he would be the right person to to collaborate with on that. And uh, and it turned, I was absolutely right. It turned out to be a great collaboration. We had a lot of fun doing it, and and we really got to explore lot, lots of different avenues of ways to go on these songs. And his input on the arrangements were just incredible. I mean, he he brought so much to this project, and that's why he's the co-producer on it. And, um, you know, Jay is, you know, he goes back, he's played a significant amount with Dave Weckl. Um, he was very involved in, um, Cheryl Crow's early career, writing with her. They're both from St. Louis. And, um, he's one of my dear friends and so talented and, and, you know, should be working a lot more than he does. I mean, he does lots of different things. He's, he's, uh, working on a, a project now, um, with, um, uh, doing music for children and, uh, and, uh, with his own company, but I just wish he was out playing more. Miss him out there. You just mentioned Jimmy Buffett, and I have to talk to you a little bit about that because, first of all, this album, the Chateau, uh, the Chateau Beach CD is on Jimmy's label, Mailboat Records, mm-hmm. but you produced pretty much all of the Buffett albums of the 90s, I think with the exception of one of them. And I would, I, as much as I like Michael Utley and Mac McAnally, I wish he'd go back to using you as a producer. Because the Barometer Soup CD, like I mentioned earlier, I think that's the best-sounding album he ever did. And it's a very unique album. So tell us about your experiences in working with Mr. Buffett. Well, uh, thank you for that uh, compliment. Um, I'm proud of that record, and uh, and I think Jimmy is too. Um, you know, 
when when an artist like Jimmy uh, or James Taylor or any you know anybody who has a large fan base, in order to keep recreating themselves, I mean, they there's certain things you have to change. You you know, you have to either change the set. You can change the set for your live performance. You can't keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. You you, you know you have to change some things and for, for Jimmy and certainly for James too, changing personnel makes sense. You know, um, Jimmy has had multiple producers over the years. I feel absolutely fortunate and blessed that he gave me the opportunity to produce six records for him. And, uh, you know, I will always be indebted to him for that. Jimmy and I are really good friends. We stay in touch. We have a lot of interests together, flying and surfing. And, uh, you know, um, we're just, we will always be good friends. I mean, and if we get an opportunity to work together in the future, if there's something that he thinks that I would be good to do, uh, a project with him, I'm sure he'll ask me. Um, but you have to change personnel. That's one of the ways that they have to do it. James Taylor's had different bands over the years. He's had different producers. Jimmy's had lots of different producers, great producers. Mac McAnally. Mike Utley has been one of, you know, part of Jimmy's music since almost the very beginning. And I've co-produced albums with Mike and Mike is, you know, Jimmy's musical director. And he's always in the mix, and even though somebody else may be producing it. You know, Mike, Mike's uh, footprint is is on it for sure. And Mac McAnally is, you know, he's one of the one of the best producers, songwriters. Mac and I have written a song together. Uh, he's just one of the greatest human beings in the world. And um, uh, for for Jimmy to choose him to produce his records of late was was a great choice. And um, but I think. Um, like again, thank you for the compliment. But uh, I think that artists have to change things in order to keep it fresh for themselves. And and you know, they Jimmy knows what his favorite things are. He knows what he's happy with. And uh, and I think he'll continue to to change things up. And if I get to work with him in the future as a producer or as a musician, it'll be it'll be great. But you know, he gave me a wonderful opportunity putting. Um, my record on his label. I, when it was finished, I played it for him. He listened to it a lot and he got back to me. He said, I got an idea. Let's do an interview, uh, with Steve Huntington, do a special on the, on the, on Radio Margaritaville. And, uh, I, I think this has a place on my, on my label. Let's put it out. So, you know, we support each other. He calls me from time to time and says, you know, Ralph McDonald can't make this concert in Philadelphia. Can you come and play percussion? And, you know, that's one of my favorite things of all time is to get to go play percussion in the in the coral reefer band not have to count songs off or play drums just play some percussion so um yeah jimmy's amazing and i I, he's been very helpful uh throughout my career and uh and he will always be a dear friend i think my favorite song on the chateau beach cd is the Joni mitchell song Carrie. carrie yeah could you pick a favorite interpretation on that song or on that album? Uh, I like that a lot. I mean, I like all of them because I picked them, you know, um, I, I, I like so far away a lot. I, I think that's kind of a sleeper cut on the, on the, on the CD. And, um, um, and I like fire and rain because it's, it's an arrangement. I don't think anybody ever thought that I would do of it, you know, having a, I don't know if you know who Lily Hayden is, but she's a phenomenal uh, violin player, and uh, so I think she did a great job on that. And it's just kind of haunting. It's uh, you know took it to a different place. 
a lot of the songs I felt kind of have like a, a world music influence on them. Yeah, that's what we were going for. Yeah, yeah. trying to you know do that. You mentioned a little while ago Peter Mayer, and Peter Mayer appears on the Chateau Beach album. And you've had an association. I'm guessing you met them through Buffett. On the same instance, uh, producing um, the uh, Barometer Soup record. Yep. But you've had, you've had a, uh, like, for example, the Scott Kirby album on Peter's label. You just produced that. And you've co-written quite a few songs with the artists on Little Flock music. Mostly with Scott and, uh, and, and well, and certainly with Peter and Roger Guth as well, yeah, uh, and on the Jimmy Buffett albums that we worked on together. What stands out about them as artists? Oh, God, they're simpatico, you know. Peter and Roger are, are really great, certainly great artists and, and musicians, but they're, you know, they're great writers. They really, really are. You know, I think Roger's always involved. Roger and Peter are always involved in the writing on a Jimmy Buffett record. Um, throw Mac in the mix and you know you have that, that's a great potpourri and they're just great people fabulous musicians Roger Goose one of the best drummers I know you know and uh, he's a little grumpy but he's great when I was interviewing Scott Kirby he was talking about Nathaniel Kunkel and the work that he put into the album that he just released so tell us a little bit about him well, Nathaniel's my son, who I'm very, very proud of. Um, he's in in the middle of a great career. Um, he's won a couple Grammys. He's won an Emmy for uh, the Sacred Love video that he recorded and mixed for Sting. It was an A&E special. Um, he's won Grammys for with Lyle Lovett. Um, He's very talented. He's a, a really great engineer, mixer. He's actually a, a, an accomplished drummer and plays some piano and guitar as well. Um, he's right now he's in the studio in Los Angeles producing the new Tonic record, and uh, I could not be more proud of him. You know, he's uh, I love him to death. I know this is probably an almost impossible question to answer. You're on the road right now with Lyle Lovett. You've played with so many different artists. Who would you say, if you could pick one, that has been the most meaningful? Oh, gosh. You really put me on the spot now. Uh, the most meaningful. Um, well, of course, the political, uh, political correct answer would be all of them. But um, they all have different – my experiences with the artists that I play with, it's like a treasure chest, if you can imagine that. And the, these are my experiences that I've had, and they're all different, and they all taught me something different. Um, there's a there's a thread that runs through them, uh, which is uh, which is kind of loyalty and 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 friendship that runs through all of them. I, I'm I'm still very close friends with all the people that I worked with, and uh, uh, but they uh, they all brought something different. Uh, my experiences brought something different to me with them. Um, uh, working with Steve Winwood, Steve Winwood is a an amazing band leader. When he walks onto the stage, whether he's singing, playing guitar, or playing organ, your game better be on because he's going to be at the top, and you have no choice. And I, that's something I kind of took away from working with uh, working with Steve. And, um, you know, with Jimmy, the thing I learned about Jimmy, he, he 
first time I produced a record for him was uh, was uh, Fruitcakes, the whole album. And we were in the studio in uh, Compass Point in the Bahamas in Nassau. And the band was in the band was in the in the room, and engineer was all set up. And he came in the control room. And he said, "Come on outside. I want to talk to you for a second. We went out into the hallway, and he he put his arm around me, and he said, "Russy, I got one rule." And I said, "What's that, Bubba?" And he goes, "If it's not fun, I'm not doing it." And that's 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 who Jimmy is. You know, that's what his shows are. Playing with him live and working with him taught me that this should be fun. Music needs to be fun. It's not, you know, don't take yourself too seriously, you know, and um, with somebody like James or Carol, I got to experience uh, history, really. You know, I was there, you know, I played on Sweet Baby James and played on Tapestry and being around those people, I mean, those, those, those are very special records, you know, so I, I got to be part of what they were creating, you know, so. All different. There's, but I, I can't really pick one out. They're all. That's my treasure chest of experiences, you know, and and they all mean a lot they're in, in different ways. If you could put it into words, what do you like about music? I like that um, it's a uh, cycle of action. That uh, before you start a song, there's nothing, and then you play it, and you go through that, and at the end, you finish something, and there's something actually is uh, consumed. Uh, it's the same thing with writing a song. You have an idea, there's nothing, it doesn't exist in the universe. You write it, you record it, and it goes out, and people can experience it. It's a it's a cycle of action, and completing those things, I think, makes a human being feel good. It's a sense of accomplishment. And music does that for me. I have two final questions. What is your all-time favorite meal? Hmm. Um, turkey meatloaf, garlic mashed potatoes, string beans, and pineapple upside down cake. Very specific choice. My last question. This broadcast goes out all over the world. We have listeners all over the place listening in. What would you like to say to all the people listening in? Buy your tickets for the James Taylor Carol King Troubadour Reunion Tour early. That's going to be happening in 2010. And um, Lee Sklar and Danny Korchmar and myself are going to be part of that. And uh, we're really looking forward to it. And it should be a lot of fun. Very good. Thanks for the heads up on that. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Russ Kunkel we've been interviewing. Thanks so much again. It's a pleasure. I have one kind of post question. Okay. Off the record? Uh, it, this is on the record, but uh, I have to ask you. Tell This is not for this special, but tell everyone out there about Roger Guth. Roger Guth is the international man of intrigue. And there's not much known about Roger Guth. So just tell us about Roger Guth. It's, it's really a simple answer. It's very simple. Roger Guth is the real James Bond. <laughs> you know? Shaken, not stirred.
he's, um, you, I think you hit the nail on the head. But, you know, if, if you're going to interview him, you should interview him for a special on the fishing channel about, about making his own flies for his fly fishing. That'll, that'll perk his interest. I've heard he's real into the fly fishing. A great, great songwriter. I don't think a lot of people understand. He's him. also a great singer. Yeah. A lot of, uh, yeah, he does. He really does. It's kind of a smoky voice and, you know, Roger's great. I love him. He never returns my phone calls. Roger, if you hear this, will you please return my phone call? <laughs> All right. Very good. Goodbye.